Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Techspansive. I am Sean Dubrovac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. Happy New Year's, Ross. Oh, uh, to, to you as well, uh, Sean, and uh, of course, to our listeners as well. We're, we're going to kick off the new year with a look at um, some of the big themes that are that are playing out at CS here next week, but also probably across the full year. We're going to cover a couple stories that look at some advances in AI and then look at some new product announcements and, and some benchmarks that have been uh, achieved in the 5G realm. Uh, so first, we'll dive into what Google announced and uh, Google, together with some research partners, announced in a academic article that appeared in the, the uh, journal Nature on uh, January 1st. It was actually posted on January 1st, where they uh, announced that an AI system they developed could improve the reading of m- mammograms to detect breast cancer. They've t- tested it on two populations, one in England, one in the, the U.S., and they were able to reduce both the false positives and false negatives in uh, both of those populations. They also put the AI system up against six professional radiologists, and they were able to beat all six professional radiologists. So you see here a really big win for AI, and it really opens the question of will will this type of service that is today performed by professionals be turned over to computers and to, to AI systems like the one demonstrated in the study. This is certainly part of a pattern uh, that, that we're seeing of um, artificial intelligence going head-to-head uh, against uh, medical professionals. I remember there was a study that was talked about for several years about uh, AI or, or some kind of machine learning doing a better job of detecting uh, risk for sepsis at hospitals, which, which of course is a, a terrible um, uh, terrible risk uh, that that sometimes uh, occurs during hospitalization, uh, and uh, and how this uh, the software was. I, mean, I think it was portrayed mostly as helping the medical staff identify this, as opposed to necessarily uh, competing with them, uh, John John Henry style, but. Uh, um, you know, obviously, it's you know, it, it's it's great news overall if um, if it can lead to saving lives, and uh, you know, maybe the medical professionals are eventually called in when there may be some some risk of false positives um, uh, because you you know you just don't. Um, one, you know, the, the bigger risk is 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 ignoring it, um, so uh, and and letting a, a potential uh, diagnosis go by. So uh, that's, um, you know, it, it does seem to me that that more of these decisions are are going to be uh, moving to software um, because of, of better potential better potential outcomes. The researchers were hesitant to. While they claimed victory in the ability of the AI mm-hmm. system to to do better than humans, they kind of couched their um, their results 
and near the end of the paper, they, they write, the optimal use of the AI system within clinical workflows remains to be determined. So they were hesitant to say that. Which is responsible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and what we'll probably see is that you could easily see a combination of these two things coming together, human plus machine working for a better outcome. I think that one of the big challenges will be how to work this into that workflow. How will radiologists think about this technology? How, how might they use it to improve outcomes and lower their, uh, their workload? So it will be interesting to see if, how long that particular piece takes. I also wonder what the legal implica- you know, litigation implications will be uh, as potentially more of these decisions are either assisted by AI or outsourced to AI. Um, you know, does it absolve uh, a physician or a hospital from, from liability? Uh, are they liable because they decided to rely on, on the AI? Um, are they liable regardless? Um, so as I think uh, is true for, for many aspects of, of AI, uh, it opens up a, a lot of uh, a lot of legal issues. Yeah, and I think that uh, it, that's certainly the case when it comes to to false negatives. I think false right. positives there'll probably be a little more leeway, uh, but that that false negative number uh, becomes becomes key. And maybe that's why they see these systems working in conjunction with humans. Mm-hmm. So that ult- ultimately you have a fall guy that is not a um, a computer system, but that you actually have an individual who who made the final call so so we still have second opinions even even in the age of ai right right yeah definitely Uh, the question is where do you go to first you know as i read the results of the study i think i would want the i would want to use a radiologist that was using the this ai system Mm -hmm. Um, and you know that that I wonder when doctors will start to get that opening question of, well, are you using an AI system to augment your own expertise? Right. Well, it's it's, it's early days, right? And um, I, I I thought, I mean, I just kind of skimmed some of the coverage, but the thing that I really found interesting was that it was detecting things that the doctors signs that that the doctors were either not seeing or or not looking for. Um, <clears throat> so perhaps, you know, as, as the technology improves, uh, it will not only continue to reduce the number of false negatives and false positives, but it can reveal new options for humans as well, uh, clue them in on signs to look for that had eluded them in the past. Yeah, I think that's a good point, especially if there's some type of systemic blind spot or systemic risk mm-hmm. where they tend to miss uh, something this can help educate them and so just like the AI system is always learning the human but behind the wheel can also be uh, updating their their understanding of of you know re- in this case reading the mammogram or whatever the uh, diagnosis requires right uh, so more to come on that and certainly next week at CS we'll see a lot around uh, AI and, and where it fits in. I think there's a lot of debate right now of, of whether AI is a feature that will be added to everything or if it's a, a fundamental shift, if it's a, an infrastructure change similar to uh, 
the the shift we made as we moved from PCs to a mobile environment and and is it something like that where all of a sudden all of the services that we historically have offered start to change as a result and and start to uh, uh, evolve to be something entirely different and of course uh, another example of a sea change that we will hear much about at uh, CES is 5G. And some of that news is starting to get out uh, into the open or be released uh, prior to the show. For example, uh, an article here saying that uh, Samsung says that it shipped uh, six point, more than 6.7 million Galaxy 5G phones globally in 2019. Uh, accounting for almost 54% of the 5G phone market, uh, and they had sold only 2 million 5G phones as of September. So in the waning months of 2019, uh, they have started to see a big uptick in 5G phones, and of course that is not surprising because that's when most of the U.S. carriers started announcing that they were officially launching their consumer 5G uh, services. So, uh, and that they have such high share is also not super surprising uh, because there's a, uh, there are very few choices in, in the 5G market. I know that uh, OnePlus has a, a special edition that I think T-Mobile is offering, but, uh, but at least in the US, there, there just have not been uh, that that many choices, and Samsung, of course, has a great relationship uh, with uh, with the carriers, so uh, and a great consumer brand. So they have uh, they have emerged as a as a strong choice. So, Sean, this is uh, some of the earliest information we've seen about consumer acceptance or or embrace of five G. Uh, what do you think it says in, in terms of some of the the initial pickup? What's your take? I, I think it's early to tell. I, I think consumers tend to buy technologies in hopes of future proofing themselves, and so mm. there there probably was some just general move to to future proof themselves. I think when it comes to phones, also they tend to have much shorter lifespans. While those have have increased in recent years, they still tend to have shorter lifespans than other products. And so you will see that those categories adopt new features at a, at a faster rate than maybe some other categories. So it'll be uh, interesting to see, for example, the uptake of 5G in laptops and if that ends up being a really popular feature or not, or if it, at least in the near term, it's just, it just is a feature that we primarily see growing within the smartphone category. Well, I, I haven't, um, you know, been in the in the market, nor have I mystery shopped uh, any of the carriers. But I have to imagine if you're coming in today, uh, if the price delta is not that much, the carriers are going to probably be pushing you reasonably hard. I would say at this point, I don't think super hard. Uh, because you know the networks are still very much a, a work in progress, and you're not going to really see that much of a difference on a day to day basis. But but on the to your point, the promise that uh, you know say by this time next year it's going to make a significant difference in terms of your daily use of the phone. Uh, why wouldn't you get the 5G phone? 
you know, the, the only reason would be price. It's not like you're, you're really giving up anything. Um, so, so if particularly if, and again, to your point, Sean, the phone purchase cycle has slowed down, which it has, you may be people, you may, you may be seeing people coming into Verizon or AT&T with something that's a few years old. And, uh, you know, if they, particularly if they realize that they're the type of person who is going to hold on to a phone for a while, it makes sense to go for the, for the 5G option. Yeah, I think if you're going to hold your phone for three or four years, and many consumers are now holding their phones for, for that long, if not longer, then it does make sense to, to future-proof yourself somewhat. And, um, and the cost probably isn't you know, significant. Also, I think there's a lot of uncertainty. And so you know, if you're, you're not exactly sure what the coverage is, for most consumers, it's very little coverage right now. They may be inclined to just get the, the 5G phone to ensure that they, um, you know, that they have coverage when coverage becomes available. Yeah, and I think it's important for the carriers that they communicate this effectively just to keep expectations in check. Uh, I mean, we're in the bubble, of course, a little bit of the industry, and, you know, we've been hearing uh, in, incredible the incredible feats of strength that uh, 5G will be capable of for, for many years. And, uh, you know, a few years down the road, it, it may indeed be pretty exciting in terms of the speed capability. But... But today, for example, you have this fractured standard uh, where most of the carriers are roll. You know, some of the carriers are rolling out uh, millimeter wave five uh, G, which is quite fast, but has a very limited range. And uh, T-Mobile, for example, is rolling out uh, sub six gigahertz five G, uh, which is which which operates more in the traditional spectrums. Uh, so it has a good coverage, uh, but it's not particularly, it's not much faster these days. And in fact, uh, much of the 5G is being deployed to uh, ease, ease some of the traffic uh, demands on 4G networks, which again, may help you uh, if you're a 4G user in a congested area, but you're certainly not going to see this exponential leap in performance that... Uh, that we would uh, associate with 5G. So I think the risk is uh, one, carrier setting expectations now in terms of what consumers can expect from their 5G phone. Uh, And even as the networks build out, particularly with many of the phones supporting only one or two of those approaches, if there will be significant dissatisfaction uh, because over time, you're gonna see many more phones support both of those approaches, which, you know, which is the, the quote, right way to go. Um, but, but that's not the case today as, as we're ramping up. Well, and so looking forward to next week at CS, do you think we will see a lot of 5G products that are outside of the traditional telephony space or communication space? Uh, you know, I, I think there may be some statements of vision, you know, a lot of interesting concept stuff. I don't know if we're going to see a lot of real product announcements that are going to ship in 2020. I, I think it's um, it's too risky, um, you know, because like I said, the standards haven't, uh, you know, the, the coverage isn't there yet. Uh, and there's two main approaches to doing it that have trade-offs. Um, and in terms of 
handsets, uh, I do expect that we'll see an explosion of 5G handset announcements at Mobile World Congress, um, uh, which is you know more of a, more of a phone show and has been um, the uh, the epicenter for 4G and 5G announcements uh, and, and carrier infrastructure over the past few years. Uh, I, what, what are you expecting in terms of uh, 5G announcements at CES? Well, s- similar to you, I, I would expect us to see some, I guess, suggestions of where it might <laughs> go and where it might, uh, where it might end up. Right. And then painting that picture with products that won't launch. Uh, I think it's a, it is a tough story to tell because we are another year into what is a 15 year transformation. Right. It's the, it's the fifth anniversary of the first year of 5G. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a great way of, of putting it. And Next year, you know, I'll let you in on a little hint and a little secret. It's going to be the sixth anniversary uh, of the of spoiler. The first year. You got to give me the spoiler alert for this. Right. So, yeah. So, so I think we'll continue to see that. And then quickly, suddenly it'll be upon us. But that time is probably a, a, a decade out. Mm. And um, so I think the, the story at CES for the next couple of years really will be, uh, at least with respect to 5G, hey, here's how we think we're going to use this this communication network. Here's the type of information we want to share across it. Here's how we want to share it. Here are the devices we want to share it. And so you'll you'll have a lot of different applications. And I think most of those will exist outside of the smartphone space. So it, you, you have an interesting dichotomy now where the focus is on the phones, but I think in the long run, the focus will not be on the, on the phones. Right. So what I wanted to say in terms of, you know, your earlier point about uh, AI, is it a feature or fundamental infrastructure? Uh, I think, you know, a lot of uh, what 5G can bring us is simply faster versions of what we have today. I think the sleeper feature of 5G is a lot of this uh, IoT carve-out stuff that it can do. So, so 5G, you know, we tend to think about super fast speeds and very low latency, and people experiencing, you know, I, I think probably the ideal 5G dream app in terms of performance is multi-user augmented reality with people getting together in a park and you know zapping giant monsters together and things like that. Uh, but, um, but there's a provision of the standard uh, for uh, Internet of Things devices that is virtually the exact opposite of that. You know, it's, it's quite slow um, and it, uh, it's really optimized for very long battery life. Uh, so I think that could help enable uh, a new class of devices that aren't really being uh, used today. Uh, aren't aren't really being developed today and I'm I think a lot of them will be industrial so I'm not quite Mm -hmm. sure if we'll see uh, you know direct consumer usage of them but uh, but I but I think that will that will make a big difference so well and you and you do see those type of uh, devices if you will for lack of a better term starting to show up at CES so even Mm -hmm. though CES has historically been a show framed around consumer technologies, you see companies now like John Deere, you see other industrial robot companies like Omron and, and others mm. that are that are exhibiting at CES. And they definitely fit within these themes of where AI is going to take us, where 5G could take us. Uh, so it's interesting to see the, 
the show change as the as the technology leads us into different segments robotics iot and even to a large extent uh extended reality mixed reality vr Mm -hmm. those you know commercial is the commercial sector is where uh, a lot of that is being implemented today. Drones, of course, you know. So, so a lot of these technologies have just not really yet passed into the consumer space. I've actually been working on a uh, a little uh, article series on Medium uh, called uh, XR Frontiers, and I just posted one yesterday about uh, XR in the construction industry using the new uh, headset that uh, Trimble has come out with. And it's, it's been very interesting. And it's not, you know, to our, our discussion about AI later, uh, earlier, it's not just about saving uh, time and productivity. It's also about potentially saving lives. They gave this fascinating example where they're working on a feature where if I'm wearing my HoloLens 2 and I see you on the site and you're not wearing your safety vest or, or other safety gear, it can use computer vision to pick that up and either notify you or notify a supervisor, and it, it could make uh, you know could could mean the difference uh, between uh, life or death potentially. Uh, yeah, so I think to your point, it will be really interesting when we start to see these things show up in the industrial space and around extended reality. You know, there's definitely some really interesting. Uh, use applications, especially if you think about that construction environment where you don't have any presumably connectivity already installed. It's not like you have your Wi-Fi networks up. So that's an environment where you would want 5G. 5G, yeah, Uh, absolutely. And and that makes a lot of sense. And so I think you could definitely see deployment there and um, and blending those two together extended reality plus 5g create some really interesting use case scenarios they also gave uh in terms of the safety uh another interesting example in in many other fields it's sort of a nice to have to have your hands free again it's a productivity enhancer but in a lot of these environments you need your hands to steady yourself on unstable surfaces so again you know it it, uh the stakes could be much higher than simply uh, you know, getting, uh, you know, 23% of the building done versus 21% of the building done, you know, in, in the course of a week. Uh, all this said about 5G, uh, I did want us to chat a bit about laptops uh, because they are a very interesting 5G device case study. Been around forever, of course. There's uh, certainly a benefit to having them on uh, 5G networks and Dell, this was sort of the other 5G announcement of the week announced that it will be launching a new Latitude laptop with built-in 5G launching by the end of March. Um, And this is an Intel-based device, Intel partnering with uh, MediaTek uh, to produce the 5G modems. And of course, uh, you know, integrated 5G, a big part of the Qualcomm uh, Qualcomm pitch uh, for for inclusion in laptops, and um, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, so so Lenovo announced a five G laptop at uh, the IFA show in Europe last fall, uh, but it has not shipped yet. Uh, and uh, here comes this announcement with a ship date. So it will be uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, 
which uh, which company ships first. Um, but uh, you know, we've we've had four G uh, enabled laptops for some time. Again, there's clear benefit there, uh, but it is a very very small. It, it is a very small part of the market uh, in terms of volume, and yet going back to that commercial argument, it's becoming uh, more of a factor there, not necessarily because of speed or connectivity, but because of security. This idea that IT departments feel that laptops operating on cellular networks are more secure than those operating on Wi-Fi networks. And there's some justification for that. Uh, do, do you think it's enough? Uh, um, do you think that, that the, the pricing plans have to change to accommodate this? Um, or are, 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 is 5G, are we going to see higher attach rates for 5G and laptops than we have for 4G um, it, within, say, five years? Uh, so I think we could see higher attach rates for 5G in computing broadly. Uh -huh than we have in uh, with 4G. I'm not convinced that it's the the killer app, you know, killer app for a, mm. for a laptop. I just don't know that we're really using laptops in a way just cuz there's just so much Wi-Fi around everywhere or? Yeah, and we tend to still use them in pretty fixed locations. So Right, right. I, I think or we hotspot off of our mobile Phone. device and so you right. don't necessarily need it in the in the uh, device. And that right. works really well on a Mac or, or a Chromebook where they can tap into the hooks in the operating system and then off you go. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do think, though, that we might see it in other type of computing applications. So hmm. I, I think there's probably still a lot of uptake that could happen in the tablet space if you think of um, or, you know, or mobile type device, if you think about how deliveries are being done today. And I'm, I'm sure you've experienced it when Amazon drops something on your porch, they take a photo of it now and they send yes, you that's a cool. photo yes. of it, right? So that's a piece of it. Um, I've seen some prototypes where you can do real-time tracking. I think Amazon yep. has rolled this out in a couple of places. And we might've yep. talked about this on the, the podcast where you can actually see where the truck is right and that's getting better also because ups has had that for a while but you you only saw where the truck was like in your neighborhood but you had no idea of the route it was taking <laughs> now at least with with the amazon iteration it tells you that they're like five six stops away which is you know much more helpful yeah and yeah. and you've and i know in my area they've implemented the um tracking devices on all the snow plows so you can see where the snow plows are <laughs> oh, that's and cool. when they're in your area. And obviously I think that technology could get a lot better. So I think in those type of applications, 5G could could make a lot of sense. Mm. I'm not convinced that the laptop really needs it, at least the way we use laptops today uh, really needs it. Again, it all comes down to where and how you're using it. So if you're using it on a, const on a construction site, then sure maybe that makes a lot of sense if you're using it in a home office or in an office environment i don't know that you necessarily need it though there is an argument to be made that 5g will replace traditional fixed broadband and it, and if that yeah. does play out then sure you're going to want 5g 
in your in your laptop. Right, but even in that scenario, wouldn't there be some router in your home, you know, broadcasting out Wi-Fi? Well, yeah. So you would have the five G network connected to a router that then broadcasts right. out Wi-Fi. Sure, that could work. But you could also in that envision a, an environment where you build the five G directly into all of the products. And at some yeah, point, well, that'll it, take a while. Yeah, yes, that will <laughs> yeah. take a that'll take a while. But then you know, then the case is made that maybe it isn't just distributed from around the home and within the home, but that it that uh, you have connectivity to each and every device. Now, whether that's the optimal way to do it or not, I don't know. But uh, you could easily imagine that showing up in at least your core products like televisions, laptops, and any core computing products. Yeah, TV TV with a five G modem is, is an interesting uh, interesting proposition. I, uh, uh, I I I think I'm by and large in agreement with you. I'll tell you what is my kind of wild card though, which is that sure you know five G we're looking at probably another three years before it's um, really a factor for most uh, consumers uh, in terms of coverage. But it will move forward, and Wi-Fi tends to not move forward in public places, right? How many uh, settings have you been in where the Wi-Fi has just been abysmal, right? So, so there, there's kind of the the uh, the stick, you know, if you will. Oh, here's the pain of dealing with you know slow public Wi-Fi. Um, I wish there were a faster option available. So now, what's the carrot? It's eSIM. Okay, so today you kind of have to decide, oh, I'm getting my laptop on AT&T or Verizon, and now I got to think about a contract. Um, but, with, uh, but now we're starting to see, for example, in some of the uh, Qualcomm devices like the Surface Pro X, uh, they support uh, eSIM technology, which means that, you know, you start up the laptop, you say, I want cellular, and they give you a choice of providers uh, that offer by the day or you know by the hour or by the month or by the gigabyte or you know however you want to pay for it. So there's just a lot less uh, consideration that needs to go into it, um, saying you know oh, am I going to add this thing to my plan? Uh, and I'm sure over time, you know the the, the major carriers uh, will get more on board with this. They've been doing it in the iPad for, uh, for some time. And I, I think that's a relatively low uh, attach rate as well. But um, uh, I, I think that could ease some of the transition. We're certainly not going to see the abandonment of Wi-Fi, but I think the thing that I'm most optimistic about is more situational 5G. I need it now, so I'm just going to sign up for it now. You know, and, and it'll be interesting to see if consume if that how how consumers can be educated to that possibility. Yeah, so. and if and if you could have a plan structured in a way that you were charged on uh, charged for bandwidth, which arguably the carriers would would love to you know go to anyway. Well, a lot of international plans are are structured on on this by the day thing. Right, and so yeah. then you, and then you could have five G in multiple devices. And uh, you know, as you move across devices using that 5G connectivity, then you're charged accordingly. Right. The but I think the by device thing is is another fascinating element uh, in that it made sense when you know the 
only other device you might have with a cellular connection was a tablet or maybe now a watch, right? But you're talking about a scenario in which we could have five things hanging off our bodies with, with 5G potential, uh, but nobody's going to want to have to pay, you know, 50 bucks a month for, no. for that level of value. So, so I do think that if nothing else, uh, 5G and some of these IoT standards will cause carriers to, uh, to reconsider some of those conventions. Yeah, and I think, you know, going back to CS, what we'll see at CS is you, you will see companies exploring ways of connecting these sensors, if you will, mm-hmm, these mm-hmm. sensing devices, and how information is shared between devices and across devices. So, you know, do I need 4G, 5G in a wearable device that could easily share it over Bluetooth to a mobile device that is then 5G connected? I think there's still a lot of open questions around what's the best way of, of connecting these devices and then why connect it, you know? And, and arguably you're building 5G into some of these devices because you want to be able to use them outside of a mobile phone paradigm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it'll be interesting to see the narratives that are built around here's devices that we think warrant 5G because here's the use case scenarios and here's how you, you'll use it outside of your mobile phone. Lots of, uh, lots of interesting possibilities. Um, some, some in, in larger form factors than the smartphone, but, but many in smaller ones as well. And to your earlier point, I think you'll start to see many of these applications show up first in enterprise settings and yep. in, in industrial settings. And that's really a, a pretty major shift, I would say, over the last decade where we saw a lot of technologies emerging first in the consumer space. We're kind of going back to where they show up first in the enterprise or industrial environments mm. before coming to the consumer space. So that, that'll be interesting to watch as well. Well, that's probably a good place to wrap it up and end this week's episode of Techspansive. Thanks again for joining us. I am Sean Dubervac, and you can find me on Twitter at Sean Dubervac. And I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. Join us next week, as I'm sure we will dive into all things CES and check out the site for the show notes.